Today we'll be discussing the new Michael J. Fox documentary, Still, and we'll be discussing Parkinson's disease. This is Doctor vs. Comedian. I'm Dr. Asif Doja, and this is the Doctor of Laughs. Not a real doctor. Ali Hassan. Every episode, I pick a topic for Ali from comedy and entertainment, and I question him about it. Then Ali picks a topic for medicine and health and grills me on that topic. Today, we'll be discussing the new Michael J. Fox documentary, Still. And since Michael J. Fox suffers from Parkinson's disease, in our second half, we'll be discussing that disorder. Okay, Ali, let's get right into it. Lots of stuff to talk about today. We're going to talk about Michael J. Fox. Yeah, and do we have a spoiler alert? Do we say that? I would say if you have Apple Plus, get into this, especially if if you know Michael J. Fox's life, uh, if you know his work, I mean, don't hesitate for one second. If you're curious about this person, like I'm thinking about like my daughters who are, you know, older teens, would I recommend this to them? I think I would. I think I would. I think watch it and don't let us spoil anything for you. I mean, it's a documentary about his life. Like you can also look at this on Wikipedia. I think I'm not as worried as spoilers for this. If you want to wait. So actually let's do the first part where we'll talk about Michael J. Fox just in general, and then we can go into the documentary in a little bit. How about that? Okay. Yeah, sure. Very good. So first of all, Michael J. Fox, an interesting person, one of those people who we always use their first name, their last name, and their middle initial. But do you know the story behind his middle initial? There was already a Michael A. Fox or something. He's Michael Andrew Fox. Yeah, he's Michael A. Fox. And there was already There was already a Michael Fox. That's right. So he so couldn't why J instead of A. So that's he what I didn't know. want to use A because they thought Michael a fox, like Michael's a fox, like a, a hot person. And he thought he was too Canadian. Michael A, you know, Canadian A. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, so yeah, he yeah. just made up J. There's no, you know, he doesn't have, his middle name is obviously doesn't start with a J. As a tribute to actor Michael J. Pollard, who I do not know. <laughs> and I too do not know Michael J. Pollard. So that's a good start. Yeah, exactly. So that's him. So he was born in Edmonton, but grew up in Burnaby, BC. Have you ever been to Burnaby, BC? I have. A good friend of mine, Salim, is from, uh, who you know as well, is from Burnaby. I've been to his house. Okay, yeah, okay. Was he friends with Michael A. Fox back in the day? I don't believe he was, because he's the type of guy who would have told me about that every week of his life. So... Michael J. Fox, he became, I mean, if you want to watch the documentary, you can learn a bit more about his early life, but he got into acting in his teens and he was in the show Leo and Me, which was a Canadian series on the CBC. I wanted to ask you if you knew about that show. No, I heard about it only afterwards that it existed after he became famous, that he was on this show. So I don't know, maybe people watched it when they were growing up. It was also, it was in 1979, I think, or 78. So, oh yeah. You were a wee one. It was a bit before our time. So then he moved to the U.S. And I guess when was your first encounter? When did you first hear about him? I think I watched Family Ties right from the get-go. I mean, the way I bawled the final episode Mm -hmm. suggests that I was there from the beginning. Like, I really did, you know, Family Ties and MASH. When these shows ended, I was like, what's happening? Why are there tears running down my face? What is wrong with me? This is not my family. And in a way, like, I guess, I guess they were part of my family. 
I think I watched that show from the beginning as well. You know what's funny? It was the pitch for that show was hip parents, square kids. Yeah. That's how the, the writers pitched it to the network, which you can think about from an adult point of view. These were hippies, and then they have the conservative kid, the kind of the superficial kid, Mallory, and then the tomboy daughter. So, and because it ran like seven, eight seasons, I remember certain jokes making more sense to me as, a, as, as I became a more aware human being. Like him being a young Reaganite would have been meaningless when I was like 10 years old, right? But by the time I'm 15, now I'm like, okay, now I understand what Democrats and Republicans are and what this is all about and who he's trying to be. And it's an interesting thing, depending on where you are in life, sometimes a show, you start to appreciate it more. As you grow as a person, the show grows on you too. I think that definitely happened here. Although I liked it from the beginning. And one of, the, one of my favorite things about this documentary they show the reaction of like cast and crew and writers to the pilot episode and people are loving it. And it's like, even the people who created the show are laughing. And I'm like, what are you laughing about? You knew that line was coming. You wrote these lines, but that speaks to Michael J. Fox's way. We will have a writer on our show pretty soon in the next couple of weeks, like a TV writer. And I'm going to might ask them about that because I do find that very strange. Like, as you said, you know the joke, you wrote it. Is it that funny that the actor is putting it together? I think it does really speak to how an actor can take something off the page and bring it to life in a very special way that, that writers fair, didn't even yeah. imagine. And to be fair, if anybody can do that, it's Michael J. Fox, sure, who has sure. excellent comic timing. So I guess what happened was it was supposed to be Matthew Broderick. Did you know that? And he was unavailable. So that's how he got I the I did point. not know that. I just know that they were a couple of very important people that didn't consider him having star material. They didn't yeah, think yeah. he was the guy. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Brendan Tartikoff, who headed yeah. up, I guess, NBC, NBC at the time, yeah, yeah, exactly. said, this is not a face you're going to see on a lunchbox, which is what they... That's how far thinking these things are. It's not just let's take a crack at it. It's this is how much money we're investing in this show and this team and everything behind it. We need this show to be, you know, kids taking this guy on their lunchbox to school every day. I mean, that was interesting to see that also. Like, that's how far thinking they are. We should probably do a full episode at, one, at some point on Family Ties because I, I really did like that show. And as I was watching this documentary and they were showing some clips from it, I remembered I re like the show was also pretty emotional. I remember when he was using he being Alex Keaton was using some Alex, pills. They weren't P. Keaton. P. Keaton. Alex P. Keaton. P. Keaton. P. Keaton. Yes, he was using some pills, some speed pills to stay up to study for exams. Remember that episode. I do. And ironically, he was the guy who least needed speed of any other human being at the yeah, time. True. He was so unbelievably energetic. But yeah, both and, his character and Michael J. Fox. But And then Uncle yeah, Ned. Remember. You remember Uncle Ned played by Tom Hanks? He was the alcoholic. Oh my God. I did not know that was Tom Hanks. Oh my God, it's hilarious. Yeah. You're joking. And then he had all these, these, I mean, there's so many characters on the show. He had these girlfriends. One was court, played by Courtney Cox. And then later on, of course, his girlfriend was played by his real life wife, Tracy Pollen. Tracy Pollen, yeah. And I was watching, so, again, on the documentary, and I was remembering some of these episodes. Remember, like, this song by Billy Vera and the Beaters, What Would You Think I Would Do at This Moment? When I'm faced with oh, the Oh, yeah, 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 of course, of course, of course. Me. I'm not singing it, but I'm just talking about it. You're definitely not singing it. Uh, 
Thank you so much for that, by the way. But also, I know the song so well, but you threw me off with Billy V and the Beaters? What? Is, is, I think it was Billy Vera and the Beaters. Billy Vera. I've never heard that name. I mean, I think uh, it was only that one. Hit. Yeah, clearly. But, I mean, that song was so huge. And then Michael J. Fox and Tracy Paul in the, in the bus station, I think they were. Anyway, I just remember watching that again on the documentary. I'm like, oh my gosh, that episode made me emotional, like to yeah. bring you back to that time. Anyway, I, it was it was a great show. So fun. We won't sing the theme song either right now. What would you say? No, what would you do if I said it this moment? Ah, oh, dying to sing it. I will not yeah, do you, it. All right. No, please don't. <laughs> no. But I meant the theme song to Family Ties. But anyway, yeah, don't sing that. Yes, either. also a great one. Also a great one. Yeah, so definitely Family Ties. And then, of course, Back to the Future. Now, Back to the Future, I think I mentioned this before on the podcast. Ollie and I saw this movie together. He probably doesn't remember that we saw it together. I'm not good at remembering stuff When like you that. were visiting Ottawa, we went and saw it. I was 11, so you were probably 12. When it came out, it was amazing. It was amazing then. It's amazing now. It's one of the best movies ever made, in my opinion. It's And you watch it again, it still holds up. It is crazy. And of course, a bit of trivia on that, he was, it was the role of Marty McFly was initially played by Eric Stoltz. And by initially played by, Asif means was actually played by, not offered to. They did six weeks of filming. Which sounds, I'm assuming, is a huge amount for a movie. It's insane. It's insane, man. Like, in the end, the entire production was three months, so it's half of production, and then three months in to be like, I don't know if this guy's got it. Like, what are you doing? You know, they're thinking lunchboxes in the sitcom world, and in this Back to the Future, they just go in with a guy who they hope will figure it out. There's a moment in... Family Ties, in, in, in uh, still in the documentary, they show a moment in Family Ties where this attractive young woman who Alex P. Keaton's obviously very interested in says, I've always found that I'm really attracted to a, a man with a sense of humor. And it's like three, two, one. A priest and a rabbi walk into a bar. That's he just starts it. it but I mean, it's precision timing. It's really some of the best comedic timing I've yeah. I've seen. It's really incredible. It's even just on the cusp of being too, I don't know. It's so, it's so good. And so, yeah, of course that was the right choice. And, and Christopher Lloyd, who played Doc in Back to the Future said, I was a little bit, you know, he says this in a Variety uh, magazine uh, article. He was kind of, you know, reticent. He was feeling like, oh, God, I got to go through these lines again. Mm-hmm. We've done six weeks of filming yeah. with a new actor. But he said, Michael showed up and made me better. I delivered my own lines better because of who, and because he was so uh, precise with his, I think I can walk three steps, spin around, and then deliver the line here. It was all about comedic timing. Yeah. I'll link to that article. Ali and I both happened to read that article independently. (laughs) We just learned today. We both Well, the reason being that there was a hard date on when the documentary was coming out and I was anxious to get something more before the documentary comes out. And of course, Variety, unlike Doctor versus Comedian, probably got a, uh, an advanced copy. So Back to the Future, definitely amazing. And then it's, it's very interesting what happened with him. And you might remember he had, you know, Back to the Future, Teen Wolf, Casualties of War, Secret of My Success I Never Saw, and Bright Lights, Big City, which I think we referenced on a previous episode. And we, you know, these are pretty big movies. And then he did a couple movies, which I don't even remember him doing. One's called For Love or Money, Life with Mikey. I saw For Love of Money. It was 
so weirdly flat. I just remember, because I'm, I was in love with Michael J. Fox. This guy could do no wrong. And then that movie came out and, you know, I, I, always, I always look to myself as the problem first. I, I remember feeling like, is it me? Do I not get it? And then I had to come to terms with the fact like, that movie kind of sucked. I don't think that was a good movie. Life with Mikey, I've never heard of. I didn't know that was a thing. I've heard of it. I never watched Greedy. I didn't even know what that was. So he kind of had this downturn kind of after the Back to the Future movies, after a couple of hits. He turned down Ghost with Patrick Swayze, Demi Moore, because he said he didn't see how it could work. So he says, you know, I'm a bit of an idiot well, for turning that I down. I mean, retrospectively, I'm not sure how he could have worked instead yeah, of Patrick Swayze. Now yeah. having seen Patrick Swayze in the movie, what are we talking about? Yeah, it is true. That is kind of like, yeah, I don't see how it would work either, actually, when you when you mention it. And then he did a movie called The Frighteners in 1996. It was supposed to be made by Robert Zemeckis, like another Back to the Future. You know, mm-hmm. Zemeckis, Back to the Future. But he got Peter Jackson to do it. Peter Jackson, of course, for the Lord of the Rings trilogy, King Kong, etc. And The Frighteners is a pretty good movie. It's about like uh, Michael J. Fox plays a guy who is able to communicate with ghosts and he uses it to like basically do a ghost hunting business, which is actually just a scam. And then there's a malevolent force that comes and he has to fight them. So it's a pretty fun movie. I thought it was good. It wasn't a huge hit. I don't think it made a lot of money, but it was kind of, I thought that was maybe him coming back. But in fact, he took a detour and went back to TV and did Spin City. Yeah. For several seasons. With the same, you were just saying reunited with Zemeckis, right? He was reunited with Gary David Goldberg. Right, from Family Ties. Who created his best known work is Family Ties. So they were reunited. Co-producer on that show is Bill Lawrence from Scrubs and Ted Lasso. I think if you watch the documentary, you'll see it's because he was trying to put more focus on his family life. And, you know, he thought the schedule was a bit better for the TV show. But... Now, when you peel back a lot of these layers, you realize what was going on. So he was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. And of course, the documentary is about this as well, when he was about 29. That floored me, actually. I was not. I couldn't believe it. So that's that's extremely young, okay? Just so we we know from the disease. And so that was, you know, obviously a huge shock to him. He kept it a secret from many people, even those closest to him. And he was told that he basically had 10 good working years left. So that's why he signed a contract and did those three movies, For Love or Money, Life with Mikey Greedy, one after the other. He's like, I got to make my money. I got to finish acting. And I won't be able to act again. So yeah. he was kind of panicking. And, and that's so now in hindsight, it makes so much sense. At this time as well, he also became an alcoholic. It was his way of dealing with, with the Parkinson's. A uh, particularly a poignant moment in Still is when he said, the doctor came in, he said, I'll never forget this. The doctor told him about his diagnosis. And of course, he would have known nothing about Parkinson's. He probably would have maybe never even heard of it. And the doctor was like, you don't win this game. You lose this game. There's no cure. It's incurable. And it there's, don't think this won't happen to you because you can maybe dodge it somehow. You, you lose. So that, I mean, he was told in no inser- uncertain terms that the end is going to be ugly. And yeah, so you can sympathize with a guy signing on while the money is hot, you know, Mm -hmm. while the going's good and while he's still a star, I, I, you know, again, like I said, Michael J. Fox can do no wrong in my eyes. So I can sympathize. Let me just say that with him signing on to three movies and, and going through them maybe poorly and not even. 
and he eventually left Spin City. I, I must admit, Spin City, I've probably seen like three episodes. I haven't did it. No kidding. I was a big I, fan. I was oh, a big really? fan. Yeah, I didn't really watch too much of it. And then he was eventually replaced by Charlie Sheen. He yeah. left because of his Parkinson's disease in the last two seasons, which I forgot that trivia that he was replaced by Charlie Sheen. And then. You know, after that, during the Spin City time, I should say, he went public with his diagnosis. We'll remember he was on, like, you know, People Magazine, Barbara Walters. And and eventually after that, he continued to act. Like, we have seen him in other roles. But I didn't know this till I read that Variety article. He only agrees to do roles if the character has Parkinson's disease. I think, A, he doesn't want to hide it, you know, on screen somehow. And I think he's done animated movies where maybe they don't have Parkinson's disease, but a live action one. So he's been on The Good, the good Wife. He's been on Did You See? I'm, I'm Curb Your Enthusiasm. No. Uh, it was about 10 years ago. And uh, he plays himself. And he's like doing all these things like making noise above the apartment from Larry's. And like he shakes up with his Parkinson's tremor a Pepsi and then like gives it to Larry David and oh, it sprays all over. And Larry David thinks he's using the Parkinson's as an excuse. And anyway, it's uh, it's really good. It's, it's one of my favorite things he's done recently. So he then became this big advocate for Parkinson's disease. And I can't remember if it's in this Variety article or it's in a different article I read, but he realized what you had said, the doctor said, there's really no cure. There's nothing you can do about it. And he just saw all these other people in the same boat as he was. He was on a lot. Of, this was, again, the beginnings of the internet and chat rooms. He'd go on these chat rooms and see, you know, there's all these other people in the same boat as me, but he has a voice. He could do something about this. And he said he was swimming in the ocean by his house with his kids and a turtle came up to him like a sea turtle and had all these scars on him he's like this turtle's lived you know how long you know 50 100 years and has just persevered he's like that changed his mind and he decided like he got out of the pool or the pool the ocean whatever he's like uh out of the water and he's like i'm starting the foundation so that's what he did and they've raised i think almost two billion dollars i think 1.75 billion for Parkinson's disease research. We could talk a little bit towards the end about a new discovery in the second half we can talk about that really might change the game for Parkinson's disease. And so, you know, I mean, he's really a great guy. The Well, why don't we talk about the documentary now that Ali, like, I, I think we've, you know, given the flowers to <laughs> Michael J. Fox quite a mm-hmm. bit so far. What did you think of the documentary? It made me pretty emotional. I, I cried three minutes in before the credits rolled. When he falls... Yeah. On the ground, I don't know. I found myself a little bit struck by that emotionally. I found it really, really good. It's done by Davis Guggenheim, Oscar-winning director. He was told one thing and one thing only, no violins. In other words, don't make this a sad thing. Yeah, violins, sad. not violins. 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 Not exactly maudlin, right. not sad. That's right. But otherwise, Michael J. Fox would himself have no control of the editing or influence on it. So that's an interesting place to be in. Just like, just keep it at this tone. And Michael J. Fox himself, as you suggested, doesn't want pity, doesn't want sympathy. But at the same time, you can't help but feel like knowing about this person the way you did. And and I thought the name still is maybe one of the best names of anything ever. He says... Michael J. Fox says, I literally could not be still as a kid, as a young person. I couldn't stay still. I couldn't sit still. I couldn't be still until I could literally no longer keep still. Right? Now, he would love to be still, and there's no way because of the shaking and all this. And 
still also implying his his in, enduring you know he's here he's still yeah, here he's still, he's still here, despite yeah. the early diagnosis and as far as the documentary goes the, the music the various clips the movement is quite high energy it'll dip into something more somber and then go high energy it's at this sort of frenetic pace sometimes which is or was michael j fox's life and his vibe so i really thought it was so well put together and really yeah really really well done yeah i definitely think people should see this if if you have any doubt about seeing it definitely watch it i think first of all as ollie's saying it's a celebration of his career his life and career and we forget how, what a good actor he was really we we all do and i think it, it's i don't know why we just kind of gloss over that he was excellent not just a comedic actor he's had dramatic roles as well but really he's great and he had such a great body of work so i think that's one thing it is sad to see parkinson's disease and how it's affected him it is a chronic disease. So in other words, you live with it for a long time. You can pass away from it eventually, but it takes a long time. So you live with these symptoms. And to see someone, as you said, who is so active, running around, as uh, Meredith Baxter says in a, I think it's in the Variety article as well, you know, he would never just walk anywhere. He's always bouncing, Bounce. jumping, right? Yeah. He's, a, he's a physical person. And then now, as you said, he does move around, but not in the same way. And and it's difficult to to hear about how, you know, I think during the filming of the documentary, he fell like so many times, injured his or orbital bone, injured his arm, got an infection in his arm. He's broken have, several bones, yeah. You know, so that is tough to see, I think, but it's, I don't know, it's, it is, but it's not depressing, right? There's a real beauty in it. And it's a man who, like, despite everything, despite the cards he's been dealt because Parkinson's, and we'll talk about this momentarily, feels so arbitrary, and I don't know if there's any genetic component or not, but it feels like these are like some real, it's a real raw deal, and you're dealt some really bad cards, and he's really made the most of it. There's sort of been a rebirth of Michael J. Fox once he had that realization. Thank you, Turtle. So it's good. There's beauty. There's purpose. There's, you know, there's love between him and his wife still. This, this I mean, incredible she seems like an man. incredible person, eh? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, unbelievable. And so I'm going to give a bit two slightly negative things about this. I don't want this to discourage people. You. I'm not a huge fan of Davis Guggenheim's style of, of, of doing it. He does a lot of reenactments in this, like a lot. And now it's narrated. A lot of these are narrated by uh, Michael J. Fox, which is really good. In fact, they show you him recording the narration and how difficult that is for him with his Parkinson's disease, which is very interesting. But they're kind of reenactments and he splices in parts from his movies. It's in Interestingly done, I don't think it was my favorite way to watch a documentary, but that's okay. One really interesting thing is he, when Michael was talking about when he developed Parkinson's but didn't tell anybody, you can see, and they kind of almost zoom in, but they don't, but you're focusing now on his left hand, which is more affected at that time, and you can see it moving around. He says he always has to hold something in his hand so you wouldn't notice that he has the tremor. It's yeah. fascinating to see because yeah. you can definitely see it in some of his movies and certainly in Spin City. It's, it's quite obvious. Well, you know, the paparazzi was coming right out and saying, do you have Parkinson's yeah. disease? I'm yeah. not sure how the paparazzi is so medically well-informed in the early 90s, but they uh, they bit the story. He was going to come out publicly on a, whatever it was, a Monday or a Tuesday, and on the Friday they released the news, mm -hmm. and uh, he thought his, his life was over 
even more so. It was even worse. You know, it, 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 it compounded the diagnosis that now my kids are going to find out like this. Everyone's going to find out. And you mentioned Bill Lawrence earlier, who was doing Spin City. He knew, and they kept it very, very mm-hmm. tight-lipped. Right, yeah. None of the cast and crew knew. They sometimes and told we'll talk about disease. why, because they had to film around the dosing of his medicine, right? So he was peaking at the right time, but we'll, we'll get into that in a second. The second criticism, by, uh, by the way, just to finish up, it's not really a criticism. I thought the documentary was way too short. Hmm. It's an hour and a half, I think, bare, maybe. And I couldn't believe when it was over. I'm like, that that's it? I thought I had like another 45 minutes. You want to learn more about how he's doing now, how his family's doing now, what's going on with the Michael J. Fox Foundation, want to explore more of his career. You know, I really, really wanted more. And, you know, it doesn't overstay its welcome, which is great. It's very quick watch for people. But I wanted more. And thankfully, you know, I was doing some research. He has, I think he has three or four autobiographies now. He has four so, books, yeah. And apparently they're amazing. I haven't read them, but I, apparently they're very well written. And I would love to, you know, read those or listen to them on audiobook even. So, like I said, it just makes you wanting more, want more, which maybe is a good sign when it comes to a documentary and and learning more about his life. And, you know, he's a Canadian guy. You know, he gave us a lot of uh, entertainment when we were growing up. And uh, he seems like so a good, so. good person. Yeah, it, and it's a real appreciation of his talent, not just like he was cute and adorable, even – one of the interviewers says, you get adorable a lot. How, how annoying is that? You know, like that's, I, he was pigeonholed like that. You know, there's his, his size and his sort of cuteness overshadowed his actual talent. And that becomes clear in this documentary. I felt maybe it was short because he only had so much stamina to do the narration. He's yeah, it. that's true. I felt like we were limited by that, you know, and God, not only on top of the Parkinson's, but... This was another emotional moment. He starts talking about his dad. And although it's been a long time since his dad passed, it was 1990 when his dad passed away. Part of the narration is talking about his dad, who basically thought he was a big screw up for a long time, had this moment of like, all right, well, if you're going to be a lumberjack, you might as well go to the goddamn forest. And, And they went together. They drove from BC to California. I guess his father set him up there and then left, maxed out his visa card. So in the same, you know, session or sessions where you're talking about your father's death, talking about what your father sacrificed to you, what he meant to you, the joy that he had, I can't imagine how, you know, overwhelming that is. So it's not just the Parkinson's, it's also like the, there's actual, like from a human element, there's difficulty in, in going through and revisiting all this stuff. So yeah, I just felt like maybe, you know, it speaks to the Parkinson's. That's why it's as short as it is because- that's all he has the stamina for. And originally I had heard, and now I don't know where I heard or read that, but it was like the reason he was putting out this documentary is because things are, his situation was getting worse. But, you know, you also hear about, you also read about these promising things in the world of, uh, of Parkinson's research. So I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure either. I, I think he has commented that he does find like his movement is getting worse, his memory is getting worse. Sometimes even his talking is getting worse. So, uh, well, why don't we why don't we switch topics then, Ali, and talk about Parkinson's disease, and we can talk about some of the breakthroughs that have been made from his organization. As we both stated just now, I was surprised to learn that he had Parkinson's diagnosed in 
1991. And that's when these tremors started. And I do remember that. I do remember that around the time of Spin City. I also remember his very physical choices. And, and then you look back and you go, that's why he was doing that. So one of my first questions is, is this unique to Michael J. Fox because of how, you know, financially successful he is because of all the money and influence that Michael J. Fox would have? Is that why he's still able to do oh, so much because of the money and the access to the best health care? Or is this a typical lifespan that he's going through of Parkinson's? Yeah, it is a slowly progressive disease. And a lot of people only get it in their 70s, you know? So it's usually then if you get it at that point, it's not the Parkinson's disease that will kill you. It'll be something else. But the earlier you have it, the longer you're going to live with symptoms. He's only 61. You know, he's like barely 10 years older than us. So, you know, he's lived, you know, whatever that, 30 years basically with this, 30 plus. And I don't, I don't know how well he's doing, actually. You know, unfortunately, you see a lot of things. I think he's with a personal trainer in the documentary. And it's tough. And we'll talk about what the limitations are with the medicine in a second. And I think it'll make a lot more sense in terms of what you see in the documentary. But why don't we take a step back, because we often do, and start off with what exactly it is. So first of all, just, you know, it's one of the most common neurologic disorders. 1% of people over age 60 will have it. And again, it causes progressive disability over time. You can slow that, but you cannot stop it, unfortunately. It's a bit more common in men than women, 1.5 times more common in men than women. And so what is it? It is this loss of dopamine in the brain. Okay, we talk about dopamine a lot, the dopamine rush and gambling and checking your messages on your phone. But dopamine is a neurotransmitter in the brain that has lots of functions. But one of its primary functions is, is in our motor system to allow us to initiate movement and to produce movement. And you lose these dopamine-producing neurons in the brain in an area called the substantia nigra pars compacta, okay? A very small area in the brain that produces dopamine. Why that happens, which is Ali's big question as usual, we don't know. Awful. But the Awful. other thing you get is the accumulation of what are called Lewy bodies, okay? Mm. And we talked about Lewy body dementia connected to right. Robin Williams a few months ago. Right. So when yeah. that is affecting these other areas of the brain, you can get Lewy body dementia. And we talked about how this is a spectrum with Parkinson's disease. So just so people remember, in case they don't recall what these Lewy bodies are, you have this protein called alpha-synuclein, all right? That's in our bodies. That will come into play a bit later in our talk. And it becomes misfolded and the, it clumps together with other alpha-synuclein. And we can't remove these clumps. So then it's thought that this becomes toxic to the cells. And if you look under a microscope, you can see these clumps and neurons. And that's what these Lewy bodies are. Okay. There's a genetic component to it, but not, yeah. not guaranteed. Is exactly. That right? That's about 10% of cases. So you think if you get Parkinson's disease and you're under age 50, like Michael J. Fox was, that could be more genetic. Or if it runs in your family, it could be likely to be more genetic. So then you might get genetic testing at that time for it. Certain other people like Ashkenazi Jewish people may have a higher risk as well. But I'm pretty sure Michael J. Fox, because I've done a lot of reading about him, I don't think he has a genetic cause from what I could read. If I'm wrong, someone please let me know. But I couldn't see that on the Michael J. Fox Foundation website. So there's a genetic risk, but it's not 100%, right? Because 90% of patients don't have any genetic risk factors. Mm -hmm. We don't actually know. Some people say they could be environmental risk factors. 
So if you've been exposed to pesticides, live in a rural environment, have well water, living close when you're growing up to industrial plants or quarries. What's interesting is I found this when I was doing my research. Apparently four people, including Michael J. Fox from Leo and Me, developed early onset Parkinson's disease. Oh, my God. So I guess the British Columbia Health Authorities did not think this was enough of, you know, to investigate any investigate it. And you know what? It actually, now I'm thinking about it, it may not even have been British Columbia. I'm not sure where it was filmed. It could have been filmed in Toronto. But anyway, whoever the government agency was investigating didn't think it was enough of a caseload to investigate further. But then, you know, Michael J. Fox says this. And if you read interviews with him, he's like, I don't know. Like, I grew up kind of, you know, in rural Burnaby. I was, you know, played outside all the time. Who knows what I got exposed to? Maybe it was a summer job I had. I He doesn't know. But And he says, you could really beat yourself up thinking about that and what I did, what I didn't do. So I think he kind of puts it out of his mind. He is a self-described eternal optimist, right? Which is also very interesting when you're watching this movie, right? Like, how do you deal with your body failing you as an internal optimist, right? But he is. But two things interesting, several studies have found two things that are protective and lower your risk of Parkinson's disease. One of those is caffeine, and the other one is cigarette smoking. <laughs> so Come we're not on. telling Come everybody on. to go out and do those things in just caffeine smoking. Because again, causation and correlation are two different things, right? It's, we don't know that it's that what prevents you from getting Parkinson's is your cigarette smoking, right? There could be other factors as well, but interesting. Tell me what Parkinson's, how it manifests itself, what it looks like in different people. We've seen with Michael J. Fox, he's been very public about his own Parkinson's and what it means, that sort of falling and that trembling, is that very common with pretty much yeah, everyone who has? Yeah, we'll, we'll get into that. It becomes a bit complicated, okay? So we have a mnemonic to help remember those cardinal symptoms of Parkinson's disease, and it's TRAP, okay? T-R-A-P, tremor, rigidity, akinesia, the other word for that is bradykinesia, and then P is postural instability, okay? So the tremor is what often happens first. It looks like it was a pretty prominent sign for Michael J. Fox and his earliest sign that he had. So this is a tremor at rest. So you're just resting your arms, like say on your legs, just sitting normally, and you'll have a tremor there. Sometimes you don't even notice that. Sometimes you have a decreased arm swing on one side, an asymmetric arm swing. And then over time, this tremor can become more and more obvious. And as well, you can get other motor issues. So you get a stooped posture, kind of a leaning over posture. I don't know if you remember Pope John Paul had Parkinson's disease. And a lot of people in neurology could kind of tell because of the posture he was kind of assuming over time. So then you get rigidity. So this kind of stiffness, and it's we call it lead pipe rigidity. Like you try and move someone's arm or leg or straighten them, and it's just very stiff. Again, so you can see you don't have the dopamine. Right. So it's impairing your ability to move. And then yeah, tell this- me about that connection to dopamine and, and movement, because he does in the documentary, Michael J. Fox pop these dopamine pills. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to get to that. Just remind me about that. I'm going to get to that when it comes to the treatment, because it's very important. But you're right. He is essentially taking extra dopamine. He's actually taking it to initiate his movement, to allow him to move his face, to talk clearly, and to walk, essentially. You know, because the other thing is this akinesia or bradykinesia where you can't actually walk. 
You, you're slow to get up. You're slow to turn. You saw when he tries to turn in the documentary, what happens, Ali? He like yeah. stumbles and almost falls. And he did fall at one time because this is a spoiler for the documentary. But the very beginning, as Ali says, somebody passes him by in the streets of New York and says, hi, Mr. Fox. But they had already walked past him. So he turned around, I think, to try and say hi. But turning is very, very difficult for people with advanced Parkinson's disease. And so then you can kind of fall over. And so you take these small steps. And sometimes you have this frozen feeling where you basically you're frozen to the floor and you can't walk. And sometimes that will happen when you're transitioning in like a threshold, like walking into like a room and you just can't, for whatever reason, initiate that gate. So it's like you're frozen there. You can see that would be a very disturbing symptom. And then the last symptom is this postural instability or falling. Okay. So you, you can't maintain your posture. If you have some lightly pushes you, you'll fall over. Again, it's a difficult with turning, difficult with falls. That doesn't happen early in the disease. That happens later on in the disease. If it happens earlier on, it could be another similar but different diagnosis than atypical Parkinson's diagnosis. You were mentioning bradykinesia, and you said there's facial bradykinesia yes, also, yeah. right? And he said an interesting thing in the doc, you know, also kind of heartbreaking. He said he described Parkinson's as this mask that you wear because he really struggles to show expression of any kind. And and I think it's Davis who's interviewing him and says, what would, if you were feeling, you know, unbridled joy right now, what would that look like? And he was like, exactly like this. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I can't, you know. Yeah, he didn't. Yeah. So yeah, you have a decreased blink rate and this decreased facial expression. So other than the tremor, which is an increased movement, okay, everything else is like decreased movement. And that's the main symptoms in Parkinson's disease. Though there are other things called non-motor symptoms, which can sometimes be even more problematic. So one is you lose your sense of smell. That can happen early on. Another thing is a very unusual disorder called REM or REM behavior disorder. So it happens during REM sleep. So what happens when you go into REM sleep, REM sleep is dreaming sleep, okay? So when you're having a dream, Your brain sends a signal down to your spinal cord that says, don't move your body, okay? I don't know if this ever happened to you. Have you ever woken up and been paralyzed for like a very short period of time? Has that ever happened? It's not very common, but it happens to some people. No, I don't think that. No, it hasn't happened to me either, but it has happened. So that's because you happen to be waking up during REM sleep and your body hasn't quite activated your spinal cord say oh no you're allowed to move now the reason why your body doesn't want you moving during REM sleep is REM sleep is dreaming when you're walking around in your dreams doing stuff maybe you're James Bond you know fighting an adventure or whatever if you don't inhibit your spinal cord from moving you will move during REM sleep okay so people who have Parkinson's disease can develop this REM behavior disorder so you exhibit these movements during sleep because you don't have this inhibition of your spinal cord. So it could be hitting, kicking motions. It can be quite violent behavior because they're acting out their dreams. Especially if their dreams are those James Bond dreams that you're apparently happening, right? You wake (laughs) up and you've got your wife in a chokehold and you're trying to throw her off the porch. Well, anyway, it would be very serious. So like that's probably a whole other episode about these types of REM behavior disorders. But you can have forgetfulness, eventually dementia in some people, urinary problems, constipation, excessive saliva. So these are all other features that we can kind of see with Parkinson's disease as well. How do we, I mean, you know, 
I've felt, you know, a tremor here and there. I think people worry about different movements that their bodies, some part of their body's making that they're not initiating. When do you think I should go in for a diagnosis? What do you I mean? If you notice those symptoms, so a tremor that's there, it usually starts on one side, not really both sides. If it's there just when you're resting and it's uncontrollable, that would certainly be a clue or this kind of slowness of movement. But it's hard, unless you have Parkinson's disease uh, or you're a neurologist, really know what we mean. It's not like, oh, I'm tired. Oh, it's, it's taking me so long to get out of bed. No, it's like you physically cannot, even when you have full energy, do those things, right? That's what would be more concerning. But if you are, you can go see your doctor. It is what's called a clinical diagnosis. There's no test to do. It's just, do you have this symptomatology? Can you exclude other things that may be similar? Like some of these, we won't get into them now, but there's things that are atypical Parkinson's disease or Parkinsonism, I should say atypical Parkinsonism type diseases. You have to exclude those. So you may do an MRI just to exclude other causes, but the MRI won't necessarily be abnormal in patients okay. with But as you're saying, it's like a list of questions and maybe just like a physical test, but nothing, no technology yeah. is really required to do. No, there, there is a very cool technology called a DAT scan, which can look at your dopamine producing areas of the, in your brain, but that's not really used to diagnose it. It's usually if you're not sure, because sometimes you can get Parkinson's disease from taking certain medications that can act like that. So if you're not sure if it's from the medicine, or from someone who has Parkinson's disease, you could do a scan like that, but that's not that common. So really it's just, you know, your doctor or neurologist examining you and going through the history and usually they can figure it out from there. Okay. So let's talk about the treatment and you told me to put a pin in the dopamine yeah. and, and for, you know, people like myself, the lay person, dopamine is the thing, you know, we associate it with pleasure, right? You do something good, you've achieved something, you get a surge of dopamine in your brain. Like it's, I didn't think it was, I need to understand the connection between that and motor skills. Yeah, that's right. So you need dopamine in order to activate these, I'm just simplifying it a bit, but to activate these pathways in the basal ganglia, which are these deep structures in the brain that control our movement. So you need dopamine for that. You cannot produce dopamine in Parkinson's disease. So if you take it as a pill, like Michael J. Fox did, that will help with some of the symptoms. So the main thing we use is called Cinemat or Levodopa Carbidopa. It's the Levodopa and Carbidopa has to be used just to allow essentially more of the dopamine to get to your brain. That's why we use that particular formulation. That's the short reason why we use that. And so that works. It has a relatively short half-life, so you need to take it several times a day, usually three or four times, maybe even more times a day in order to get the effect. And then that will increase your dopamine levels and allow you to do those movements that you have difficulty doing. There's other things that you can use. Some of them are called monoamine oxidase inhibitors that can be used early in the treatment of the disease. There's other medicines called dopamine agonists. So actually they just produce more dopamine essentially. The problem is they can have some side effects and some of them are just being tired or having hallucinations, but some of them are called impulse control disorders. So this would be pathologic gambling, shopping, pathologic internet use, hypersexuality, and hoarding. And the reason is because of what you said before, right? The dopamine, this is dopamine. hit. Right. Exactly. So now you're causing these things, these dopamine-related behaviors like gambling. So it, it is kind of interesting. And so there is a limitation. So let's say you're on the main treatment, which is levodopa, carbidopa, okay? So you're taking that. This is what Michael J. Fox was taking in the documentary several times a day. But when you start it, you can take it and then you get a sustained benefit during the day. But what happens is the effect then in many people wears off after four or five hours, 
Okay, so that means, and that can shorten. Okay, so that time window where it's effective shortens and shortens. So some people, it only ends up lasting two hours. So you have this on time where the medicine is working. It's on, it's helping you with your tremor and your bradykinesia, akinesia, your rigidity. And then you have off time where it's not working. So you want to maximize on time and minimize off time. And so there's other ways to do it to try and maximize that on time. So some of it is you can actually get a continuous pump of dopamine that goes actually into your small intestine. You can get a portable pump. There's other medicines that can kind of help to prolong that on time. So that's a problem because you get this wearing off phenomenon happening more and more as your disease progresses. So that is, I think, one thing that's going on with Michael J. Fox. And as he was saying in the documentary, he had to time that perfectly. He had to do that on Spin City, time it perfectly. So he was on when he was filming and off when he wasn't. And then it was even harder during the documentary, right? He had to take it, wait, he feels it going on. And I won't ruin the documentary for people, but it's very interesting the way he describes the feeling of dopamine. He knows when it's working. There's another problem though with the dopamine is because several months or years after you start taking this levodopa, carbidopa, you can develop what's called peak dose dyskinesias, okay? So when the dose is at its highest right in your body, you get these other movements, these uncontrollable twisting kind of movements and those turning movements. And that's what you see often in Michael J. Fox, especially years ago. You remember when he's testifying before Congress, right? That was probably when we saw it the most. Also, when he was on The Good Wife and Curb Your Enthusiasm, he's all these twisting, moving postures. That's not the Parkinson's disease. This is essentially a side effect of the treatment. Okay. Remind people why he was testifying before Congress for those people sorry, who don't know. Sorry, sorry. I, I, I out mean, of the blue. So he was, yeah, himself and Muhammad Ali were testifying to increase funding for Parkinson's disease. So they, they both met with him. I think that was in the late 90s. They went before Congress. So it's a bit weird because you think, well, the problem with Parkinson's disease is you can't move that well, but he's moving way too much. Like he's flinging his arms around, but that's because he's having these dyskinesias. And so you can imagine if you have motor fluctuations where you're going on and off and then you have a shorter on time and then at the peak of that shorter on time, now you're getting dyskinesias, it's not going that well, right? Because you're having a very minimal amount of time where you actually are on, but then that good period is interrupted by the dyskinesias. So you can see it can be very difficult to treat. So this is the complicating factor. And I think you were now, if you think back to the documentary, you can see what was happening, right? That's why he's trying to get that sweet spot where he's not having a lot of dyskinesias. He's on, hmm. but it's tough over time. I noticed he had his, like a kind of a trainer, you know, physiotherapist. So I don't know what that guy's role was, but he had somebody with him, an, an aide mm -hmm. who would help him exercise and all that. Is that exercise of some benefit? Is that a huge part of Parkinson's? Are there other things that can help besides? For sure. Exercise, diet, these things are all important. Eventually, like, you know, you want to be followed by someone who can assess your swallowing and feeding. But there's other things. Some of them are really minor. Some of them are major. So a minor thing is laser shoes. Ali, do you own any laser shoes? I mean, I can check, but I didn't buy them knowing that they existed. Is that possible? No, I probably <laughs> would know. 
It sounds it sounds cooler than it is. It actually is pretty cool. So it's not lasers like shooting out lasers like Star Wars, but basically the shoes emit a laser beam on the ground ahead of you. And this provides a clue about where you should step to in order to initiate your steps. And for some reason, having a cue like that, like that laser beam, a horizontal beam in front of you, you allows people to focus and walk better for whatever reason. And it's been shown to improve. So that's like one small thing that I could do. But we can also talk about huge things, and they involve brain surgery. Okay? In the past, they would do what was called a thalamotomy or pallidotomy, which was lesioning, like, you know, basically destroying these areas in the brain to try and give symptoms. Michael J. Fox had a thalamotomy in 1998. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. And that was, I think, because of for tremor. I'm pretty sure it is for his left side of tremor. That would be my guess. Now we've kind of moved a bit further ahead and we're doing deep brain stimulation or DBS. Okay, so that is basically you implant a stimulator in the brain and you pick, you know, we know which targets can help in Parkinson's disease and then it stays in your brain and you can program it remotely and you can change stimulation patterns to try and improve symptoms. So that's best for people who have, you know, you could do it in certain areas of the brain if the tremor is really disabling. And or you could do other areas if you have problems with disabling motor fluctuations or dyskinesias, then this is an option for people as well. Again, you typically want to do it in younger, healthier people if you can, but it doesn't mean you cannot do it in an older person. And there's a few other things that you have to watch out for. So there is a lot of promise there. Can we link this type of thing to the money that's been raised by the Michael J. Fox's, you know, the people like this and, and the foundation? Good question. Not the DBS, but I did mention I was going to talk about a new study that just came out like a couple of weeks ago. So it's a huge undertaking for what they did. So what they were doing for many, many years, the Michael J. Fox Foundation for many years, they were doing, and I'll link to some articles where they talk about how they decided to do this. There's a good Stat News article which talks about how the Michael J. Fox Foundation decided what to focus on. But they were doing what's basically called a natural history study and are looking for progression markers. Can you find biomarkers that you can test that can indicate someone has Parkinson's disease and who progresses and who does not, okay? So they did this for years and years, and they've published the article last month, where basically it goes back to that alpha-synuclein. And basically they were able to, and that alpha-synuclein we can only really see in brain tissue. So when someone dies, we can cut up their brain, look at it under their microscope and see, oh, you had lots of alpha-synuclein. That's why you had Parkinson's disease, or that's why, say, Robin Williams had Lewy body dementia. But now they're able basically to do, I'm simplifying this quite a bit, but I'll link you to the article. Now they can test it in the spinal fluid. So you don't have to just test it after someone dies. Now you should be able to test the levels of alpha-synuclein in someone, but just by doing a spinal tap. Spinal tap is still invasive, but it's much better than do it on someone only after they're dead, right? And the best part was they found that they can, it definitely predicts people who have Parkinson's disease if you have a high level alpha-synuclein, but it was abnormal in less than 5% of people without Parkinson's disease. So essentially, it's a test to see whether you have Parkinson's or whether you do not. And getting a biomarker for the disease is really impressive because remember we said before there's no test for the disease it's only a clinical diagnosis but now it looks like we do have a biomarker and what that can mean for the future is 
Now, if you do a treatment and you see, is it possible? We're not there yet, but then can you see, oh, you've decreased the level of the biomarker. Has that improved your symptoms, right? Do we have another way of measuring whether we're doing something? If we eliminate the amount of alpha-synuclein in the spinal fluid, can that cure somebody? Also, what if you have a risk of developing Parkinson's disease because you have a family history? Then can you just do serial spinal taps and measure the spinal fluid, and then you intervene when you detect the alpha-synuclein, and then maybe you can prevent the disease? There's so many ways that this could go. It's not, you know, we're not saying, oh, after this, now we're going to have a cure immediately. And that's never what the Michael J. Fox Foundation did. And, and Michael J. Fox, if you read about it himself and his the CEOs and the chief medical officers of their organization, were always skeptical when some researchers like, just give me $5 million and I'll have a cure for you in like two years. They know that's not possible, but this is is a huge breakthrough for Parkinson's disease. And then maybe it'll be even be a blood test or like a cheek swab or a nasal swab, right? Maybe we'll be able to refine it even more. So it's a huge deal. And again, it's just through the fundraising efforts and supportive research for the Michael J. Fox Foundation. Okay, everyone. So that is our show for today. Let's know what you guys thought. What do you guys think about good old Michael J. Fox and that documentary? Still, let us know what you guys thought about it. Also, I'm curious if people think the same way I did about the directing, or do you guys like it? And I'm just too harsh. Maybe I don't know. Too harsh. By the way, Davis Guggenheim, who directed the documentary, do you know who he's married to? Another '80s teen sensation, Adventures in Babysitting. Oh. Elizabeth Shue is okay. his wife. Interesting. Very interesting, yes. Also from The Boys on Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. So anyway, great actress. Since you love trivia so much, Asif, let's end on another thing. Gary David Goldberg, okay, tangentially connected to this whole story, who produced, uh, created Family Ties and then Spin City, had a dog. What was that dog's name? I don't know. You got sit, it? Ubu sit? Sit, Ubu sit, buddy. That was Ubu. Oh. Ubu was his dog. So if you don't know, if you grew up in the world of sitcoms, many sitcoms would end at the end with the sit, Ubu sit, if Gary David Goldberg had a, had a hand oh in it. Oh my gosh, yeah. I tell you, man. Ubu's Unbelievable. Dead. I did not know that. See, you learn something new every day on this show. So reach out to us, drvcomedian at gmail.com, drvcomedian on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We are everywhere, not on TikTok. We've covered that before. (laughs) And remember that although I'm a doctor, I'm not your doctor. Medical issues we talk about are for your interest and information only. And they're not medical advice. Please consult your medical professionals for actual medical advice. Thanks for listening. Bye.